Yo, what's going down, people? Welcome to episode 13 of Echo Chamber. And um, yeah, let's hit the um, UK box office for the weekend of the 18th to the 20th of January. At number 10, and still at number 10, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. At number 9, Ralph Breaks the Internet. At number 8, Bohemian Rhapsody. At number 7, Bumblebee. At number 6, Aquaman. At number 5, we have the favourite. At number 4, Mary Poppins Returns. At number 3, Stan and Ollie. At number 2, Mary Queen of Scots and straight in at number one M. Night Shalahan's Glass and I have to say Disney are extremely happy about this um, you know so they, you know, they, they've sent out a press release even. The latest thriller from M. Night Shalahan has topped the UK and Irish box office in its opening weekend, taking an estimated 3425000 million. Yeah, 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 that's right. The film starring Bruce Willis, Samuel Jackson, James McAvoy... Anya Taylor-Joy and Sarah Paulson brings together the narratives of two of Shahan's standalone original films, 2000's Unbreakable and 2006 Splits in one explosive narrative. All new comic book thriller. The film also took the number one spot during the Martin Luther King four-day holiday weekend in the US box office taking 47 million it's been 19 years since Buena Vista International released Unbreakable to UK audiences and we are delighted to join M. Night Shyamalan on his journey completing his masterful piece of storytelling with glass says Lee Jury head of Walt Disney Studios UK and Ireland we are thrilled that UK and Irish audiences have embraced this unmissable and thought-provoking film and congratulate the supremely talented Knight and his incredible cast um yeah i'm gonna see if i can see this film maybe at the weekend um bring a review next week we'll see how it all goes but um this week we have got two reviews so um first we're gonna bring you bumblebee and then we have um destroyer so um yeah sit back and enjoy Oh, people, before I get to the reviews, I nearly forgot. Okay, so the Mystonic Institute of Horror Studies delves into the, the depraved history of the notorious Grand Gouignol Paris um, Theatre of Live Horror, 
with horror and hilarity the legacy of the grand goinul on thursday february the 7th at the horse hospital the mistonic institute is a celebrated organization with branches in the uk and the us that is committed to bringing accredited level classes to the public that focus on the genre and themes surrounding horror while spotlighting some of the genres world's most renowned critical literary and filmmaking alumnaries professor richard j hand comes to the Mastonic London to discuss the shocking history of La Fita du Grand Guignol, the smallest stage in Paris that from 1897 to 1962 was home to some of the most daring acts. Specialising in unique live horror, the company's productions were often inspired from real-life events, exaggerated to unhold and bloody extremes. Audiences were left laughing, crying, vomiting or screaming, sometimes in pain and sometimes in pleasure. Hand will discuss both the Grand Guignol's time operating and the profound impact it's left on horror in all forms in a class that is not for the weak of heart. Um, I'll put the links to more information and booking in the details of this episode. So remember to take a look. Um, Yeah, if you're into some Parisian horror, um, and you're free on the 7th of February. Okay, people, now let's get to the reviews. So the first film I'm going to talk about this week is Bumblebee. This is the um, the first Transformers spin-off film. Um it is directed by Travis Knight, uh, written by Christina Hudson, and it stars Haley Steinfeld, Jorge Lennonborg Jr., John Cena, Jason Drucker, Pamela Aud Aldlin. Yeah, Pamela Alden and Stephen Schneider. Um, the the basic uh, you know story is on the run in the year nineteen eighty seven. Bumblebee finds refuge in a junkyard in a small Californian beach town. Charlie, who's played by uh, Steinfeld. On the cusp of turning 18 and trying to find her place in the world, discovers Bumblebee, battle-scarred and broken. When Charlie revives him, she quickly learns this is no ordinary yellow VW bug. Um, yeah, I, you know, I have to say that... Um, 
out of all the Transformer films, like, I would, I would put this as, like, the second best Transformers film, I, I, you know, I feel like the first film is, is, you know, I think that holds the most, because it was, you know, that nostalgia, like, finally seeing the robots on the big screen, um, and it, it had one of the most coherent storylines. This, though, Bumblebee, is definitely, I would say, a close second. Like, I really loved the way this one started. Because we, we, um, we're in, uh, we're on Cybertron. So everything's going crazy, the fight's happening. <sighs> I, I, I'm not quite sure what the animation they used, but it was very effective. You know, it worked really well to to show the story. And I think unlike a lot of the other Transformers films, this was very clear to see, you know, especially with the transformations like, in the others, I mean, it, it, you know, it's very, all the Transformers were all very dark, so, I mean, for me, I'm talking for, about me now, like, I found it really difficult to tell the difference between which Transformer, especially when they they were transforming very quickly, and they were fighting, this film, though, in Bumblebee, it's all very clear, which is great, it's very helpful, you know, and I liked the fact that they were using the classic look of the Transformers, I just think, I'm not against an update, but I just thought the update, it it just seemed that they were doing it to try and go, look, we're trendy, you know, and so they made it all very dark and a bit muddy, and I just don't think it worked. But the, like the classic design, as it as it you know it says on the tin, it's classic. You know, I think it's easy to tell. It's very distinctive to tell who is who. And you know, with when you're transforming, and especially in the midst of a big fight, it makes it easier to know. All right, what's going on? Okay, so that. Mm, they're doing that, bum, 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 so that was very good, I really enjoyed that element of the film, and then, you know, they come to Earth, and, and, like, it's okay, like, when they come to Earth, it's, it's okay, like, the storyline is pretty succinct, and it's kind of nice that they, they kind of tied it into, the gap from, um, you know, the first film, so this all kind of leads into the beginning of the first film, um, well, I could, should probably say the second film, because the first film technically is the animated kick-ass film of the 80s, right, but, um, yeah, we're talking about the Spielberg film, you know, it, it fits, and that's great, uh, I liked that they didn't force 
the love story too hard. Beers, I think that really would have spoiled it if they forced that love story. The fact that I think the fact that there was even an element of one, eh, we could have done without it. You know, it was just a bit weird. Because there didn't seem any reason for there to be one. It was just, oh, you're here, so, meh, why not? You know, there's this weird scene where, like, like Steinfeld goes to um, uh, Jorge's character. Oh, take up your shirt, take up your shirt. And then she, he takes up his shirt, but you're just like, I, why? I don't understand, like, I don't understand why he had to take off his shirt. This doesn't make any sense. This is weird. Um, but I always feel with Transformers, the weakest element is the human element. And again, it it was the same with this film. Like the human element is the weakest. You know, because we have a story going on with Haley. That all seems a bit rushed, you know, because for ages it's just like, oh yeah, I miss this person, blah 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 blah, and then very close to the end, it's just like, oh, this happened, and it's just like, oh okay, it's like, why force this? Why, like, it was a weird element of the film because. It was just like, what is the real impact? If you took this out, you'd still have the same film. You know, it didn't really play a pivotal part. So it was either you have to change the timeline on the revelations or just don't bother. You know, just don't bother with it at all. Because it didn't do anything. It was it was meaningless. Then you have the whole army situation. Because, you know, Bumblebee crashes and they're like, oh gosh, yeah, alien, let's get it, let's get it. And you know, they're 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 kind of kicking Bumblebee's ass for a while. Which is all a bit like, wait, huh? Because you know, you see with the interactions with the humans with from the Decepticons that, like, the tech is so much more. So it's just like, so how the fuck are they beating on Bumblebee? Makes no sense. But you have that. Then you get to a point where, you know, the the true kind of agendas are very clear. You know, like, everyone knows what is going on. But then they're still going after Bumble... And they're just like, wait, what? That makes no... It doesn't make sense to this story. And then it ends... Like, the way it just ends with... um, Soldier! And the sal- and you're just like, oh... God damn it! Like, no. What are you doing? So it's these kind of bits that are irritating. Like... There is a nice kind of a bit with, um, you know, Steinfeld, um, Charlie and um, 
her uh, stepdad. I'm not quite sure, actually. Stepdad or mum's boyfriend, but Ron. There's a, there's a nice kind of thing with, with them towards the end, which is a sign. Oh, yeah, no, that's nice. That was that was nice. Um, but otherwise, you do kind of feel that the human parts are a bit forced, aren't, aren't fully fleshed out. Like you had Charlie hugging Bumblebee a lot and you just be like okay but he's a robot right remember he's a robot and he's made of metal so he's going to be cold and hard and probably a bit jagged so you're like going I just need a hug and you'll be like yeah but huh that, like, this isn't going to play. Like, what's happening here? So, like, yeah, it's the human element that is just so frustrating of the film. But, you know, the robots themselves, everything like that was fun. It was definitely fun. And I think mean, that really, like, brought the story and the film and that's why I feel it's probably the second best Transformers film. I will say that Solo, when Solo came out last year, there was the dreadful bit of how he got his name. Oh, so, wait, you don't, what's your surname? Wait, you don't have one? Oh, and you're on your own? Oh, so I'll just put Solo and that was dreadful. That was a dreadful moment. This did have a similar moment. This, this did have a similar, similar moment. And he's just like, oh, what's that noise? Oh, you sound like a bumblebee. Uh, I'll call you bumblebee from now on. Or I'm just going to use B. I'm just going to call you B. Hey, B. God damn it. So irritating. It's just like. Stop with the B. Just call him Bumble or Sigh. But B, hey B, why don't you do this? B. He's like, ah, I want to kill you. But yeah, that aside, you know, I, 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 I will say one of the biggest things that made me smile about this film was the soundtrack. The soundtrack was so good. And, you know, I, I'd forgotten how much good music there was in the 80s. Because, you know, sometimes you, you, you go, hmm, when was all the good music? and Or, or what kind of genre of music? And, and when was this out? And that kind of stuff like that. And you can sometimes think, hmm, 80s, I don't know. It was a bit hit and miss. But. I think they put together a really good soundtrack, but it wasn't just that, it was the way the music was integrated into the film, with it playing over the radio, like Bumblebee using it to talk, and kind of things like that, it, it worked really well, worked really well, and yeah, it was a great element of the film, and I can't remember saying that about any other Transformers film. Like, you know, the music being 
a, a you know a, a real big component of the storytelling but for this one yeah it was definitely there the ending was a bit confusing like the very end I'm, I'm, just saying, I'm not going to say what happens but it's a bit random it's a very random um, but other than that look it's not a bad film well I guess you know if you're a big Transformers fan you know if you loved all the other films then you definitely need to see this if you only like the first film then I feel this one will um, resonate a bit more with you because you know as I said look it's more akin to the first film so you'll probably gel with it more than the previous ones. If you like the cartoon series, I would say you will like this film. Um, yeah, I, it's it's not going to win any awards. Let's just say that. Definitely won't win any awards. John Cena definitely ain't going to win no acting awards for this film. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I went to see it with my friend... Because she loves the Transformers films. And I'm a great friend. I mean, this is the biggest takeaway from this. I am such a good friend to go to the cinema and watch this film with her. So, um, yeah. I mean, see the film if you want. But just remember that. I'm an awesome person. Alright. Cool. And let's get on to our, our next film. The, oh my gosh. The next film. Such a good film. Cool, let's go. Yo, what's going down, people? So today, I went to see Destroyer. Now, this is the um, new film starring Nicole Kidman. Like, it was showing during the London Film Festival, but I had a lot of interviews that day, so I wasn't able to go see it. But... Everyone I spoke to said, yo, this is a really good film. So I was like, okay. Um, and I'm so glad I got the opportunity to go catch it. Uh, so thank you to Lionsgate for, um, yeah, for the screening. But, uh, you know, it's directed by Karen Kuz Kuzama. And... Karen directed one of my favourite, uh, well, probably not one of my favourite, but a film that I really loved when it came out. Um, it was Girl Fight, starring Michelle Rodriguez. It's just an incredible film. It's a really great film. Um, then she did I Am Flux, which mm, it, it was interesting. But there were issues with it. She's she did Jennifer's Body, um, the Invitation, and then she's done like episodes of The L Word, um, Chicago Fire, Casual, Masters of Sex, Man in the High Castle, Beams, Catch and Fire. So you know, I mean, she's done. She's. But, you know, she's got a finger out there. She's doing a lot of stuff. Uh, it was written by Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi. 
And, you know, as I said, look, it's starring Nicole Kidman, um, Toby Keeble, Tiana Maslany, Sebastian Stan, Scott McNary, Bradley Whitford. Um, So, you know, the cast was really good. And, oh, some of the performance, I mean... All of the performances, really. I don't think that there was anyone that I was a bit like, they really shit the bed in this one. Or even, the, oh man, that person just not as good as I normally see them. And everyone um, kind of put on a, a great performance, which is really good. Now, this is, you know, the, the the synopsis that gets sent out. Destroyer follows the moral and existential odyssey of LAPD detective Aaron Bell, who, as a young cop, was placed undercover with a gang in the Californian desert with tragic results. When the leader of that gang re-emerges many years later, she must work her way back through the remaining members and into her own history with them to finally reckon with the demons that destroyed her past. Which um, I do like that. I do like that because it's not giving anything away really. A lot of times, you know what I mean? Like the descriptions that are written... They give so much away. There's like certain pot plot, plot, plot points that you think, why did you tell people that, man? It makes no sense, you know? So that was a good one. That was a really good one. But look, so basically, when I think I have to say, look, if I didn't know Nicole Kidman was in this film, I wouldn't have known Nicole Kidman was in this film. Because when you see Aaron Bell, God damn it, did not look like Nicole Kidman. Now, you kind of think the transformation is a bit like Charlize Theron in The Monster. But the only difference is she, like Kidman, didn't put on weight. For this film, and I believe Ferron put on weight for that role in Monster, but the transformation is crazy. And even when you see her as a younger self, I still didn't didn't think it was Kidman. You know what I mean? So I think the um, the makeup department. Really, hats off to them, because they did a fantastic job. And also on, um, you know, uh, James Jordan's character, Toby. The younger Toby and the older Toby. God damn it. Fantastic job, people. That was great. But, um, yeah, so the film opens up. And um, you 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 know you're not 
given a whole heap of information. But I think straight away, you can tell that Kidman, like Erin, she's been through some shit. You know what I mean? She's had a tough-ass life. So that's, you know, straight away you get that. And you kind of start to notice some little things that kind of tie her to the murder victim and you're just like oh shit there's you know she's always going look the gang's back I want to take um Silas down uh you know I need to do this and so you you notice these similar little traits and you're just like oh yes so they both got mm mm-hmm Okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense, I see that, okay, let's track that back, and um, you're just like, oh shit, I I understand how this is unraveling, I get it, because cut within the film are these flashbacks, so you're seeing these flashbacks to when she was younger, and like just about to go on the undercover mission with Sebastian Stan's character, Chris. So we see this and it's just like, oh man, that makes so much sense. All right, I think I'm getting it. Ah, yes, I am getting the story. And um, then, like, they, like, ah, I have to say, the the writers and the director do an incredible job of hokery with the timeline. So with everything that you're seeing, it's, yeah, the the way you are navigated through the room, through, through the film, is extremely masterful. It's it's just yeah you you are this is it's like police procedural like and I mean in the way this film has been put together you know what I mean not the film not the story itself but just the way the film has been constructed it is a masterful display of storytelling. And, um, you know, it's, you just think to yourself, I didn't see any of this coming. You know what I mean? Everything that you see, you're still not able to fathom the depths of the story. And, look, I, I, I think I said... Kidman is incredible in this film, but everyone is fantastic, and I have to say, Bradley Whitford's character, oh my god, his character is ridiculous, because at first, I have to say, I was a bit like, who is that? I'm not sure who that is. Because you think about Bradley Whitford. 
we've seen him as Josh in the White House. Then I remember seeing him as as playing a trans woman in Transparent. So and every time you see him, you're kind of like, oh, who's that? I, I, you're not quite sure. So he does this mar- this really good. Like he seems to really throw himself into these roles, and he is extremely good in this. Like Sebastian Stan, great. Like you think of him in Captain America, but um, you know, it, he he he's just really good, really good. Like you know. He he's definitely moved from the from the Winter Soldier, you know. Um, so like even Kidman's daughter, and I do sometimes when you see like kids in films, and I have to you know probably say she isn't actually a kid kid. You know, a lot of times the kids can be the uh, the weak links, but. Jade Pettigjohn really plays Shelby so well. You really get that petulant attitude. And then there's those moments of, I just want you to hug me. I just want a mum. You know, and, and, and it's not, you know, hammed up. It's really... Ah oh, man, you know it's subtle. It's so subtle and well and well judged the way she does this. And so I think watching this film, I would not be surprised to see it nominated for a whole heap of awards. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Kidman's name up there for awards, or like Bradley Whitford for supporting actor, and Sebastian Stan for supporting actor, you know what I mean, I'm, I'm just think like Tatiana Mashlani as um, supporting actress, I, yeah, I would not be shocked, because yeah, you know, fantastic, they do such a great job and when people say there's no films with great female leads you need to shut the fuck up because this is a fantastic film with a fantastic female lead it's just yeah it's just good acting Male, female, who gives a fuck? It's just hands down good acting. And um, I have to say, it's like this film is kind of, ah, I don't know. Like you get that kind of weird kind of hybrid of like memento, end of watch, Dog Day Afternoon and Sicario. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's kind of got, and probably maybe a little bit of a training day, but without the over the topness. 
it's got kind of elements of all of those films kind of all blended to create this and I would say if you are a fan of any of those films you will definitely definitely want to jump on this if you're a fan of homicide life on the streets if you're a fan of the shield you will love this film so it's um you know rated r so that will be an 18 in the uk uh it's running for um 120 minutes so just so two hours look you will love this film it's a great film from uh Lionsgate so look when you get an opportunity go check Destroyer you will not be disappointed you heard it here first well yeah I so um yeah I've got big big hopes that Destroyer is gonna kill it at the box office man and, and bring home some awards who knows but we're um that time again we're at the close of another episode so let's just hit a little film news and then we're gonna bounce okay so um i don't know if anyone remembers but like last year michelle rodriguez came at vin diesel not in a bad way or anything but she you know she she said vin i'm paraphrasing vin the fast and the furious films have made such a big chunk of change but the girls in the films we don't do anything and um yeah nothing was really said at that time but so today Vin Diesel announced that um, Nicole Perlman, Lindsay Beer and Genevieve Robertson Dewart have all come on board to write a female centric spin-off of the Fast and the Furious franchise um, so yeah like nothing has else you know nothing else has been said like it hasn't been said if rodriguez will appear in this film you know no like no real word has come out other than you know this this spin-off is now in the works and um yeah it marks the second spin-off of the um of the franchise with hobbs and shaw um out this summer so um yeah i i think it will probably be interesting to see how that fares and that will kind of whet the anticipation for this film but from you know the three women involved they've all worked on high profile films like perlman and robertson Duart wrote the script of the upcoming captain marvel um and uh Perlman also worked on Guardians of the Galaxy and um 
I believe she also wrote Tomb Raider, which, mm, uh, yeah, that wasn't great. Um, and uh, Lindsay Bear wrote um, Sierra Burgess is a loser for Netflix and is up to reboot the Ninja Teenage Ninja Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles franchise. Um, so they've all got calibre of producing big film. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they can do with this spin-off. Okay, well, next up, Michael B. Jordan's, um, you know, as most people these days seem to have, he's got his own production company. He It's called Outlier Society. And he has signed a first look deal with Warner Brothers Pictures. Um, and they've, um, yeah, it, it, last year they revealed a joint production diversity policy. And, um, you know, they've got a, a, a legal drama called Just Mercy. And that is... Um, is going to be the the first film to come from that deal um which is interesting but we don't know how it's going to affect any of um Jordan's other projects set up at other studios because you know he's got the whole Tom Clancy franchise situation that's at paramount but you know it'll be interesting i mean it is his studio so i don't think that usually affects people as an actor or an actress it's just if they're gonna make if they're gonna direct produce then that will be you know through whatever deal that they sign um and finally Netflix and Sandra Bullock killed it last year with Bird Box. And um, it looks like they're teaming back up uh, because Sandra Bullock has signed on for um, Reborn, which is a comic book adaption from Mark Miller's Miller World comic book universe. And it's going to be helmed by Chris McKay, who directed Lego Batman. Um, so, the, the, the story follows a woman named Bonnie Black, who dies in a Manhattan hospital and finds herself reborn in Adisteria, the land of the afterlife. That holds her family and friends along with monsters and dragons and a war between good and evil forces. Upon the realisation her late husband is nowhere to be found. She sets out with her late father and a sword to find him somewhere in the battle heavy area. Um, so Sandra Bullock, Roy Lee and Minnie Yoon will produce... And um, 
yeah i I, like it's it's got no um you know production day or um release date or anything like that but hey you know a, a lot of Miller's stuff has been successful. Like Bullock has proved once again with Bird Box that she, um, you know, she's still got those acting chops. So, hey, who knows what this could be? But it could be interesting. Okay. So that's it for another episode. And um, yeah, I'll see you again next Thursday. Um, for some more movie news and reviews. Alright people, so enjoy the films and we'll catch you next week. Peace.